Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. A couple of days ago, I was talking about Ruby Bridges on here and saying how wild it is that she's not even that old and how history can sometimes seem so long ago, but it actually isn't. Well, that's especially true for today's episode. It's an interview between NPR's Scott Simon and Tova Friedman, a Holocaust survivor who just put out a new memoir titled The Daughter of Auschwitz. And there's a moment in this interview where she talks about how after she managed to survive Auschwitz, an American doctor offered to remove the tattoo she was forced to get on her arm. And she refused because, she says, people should know. Tova Friedman's memoir helps us see the Holocaust not only as a monstrous crime of history, but puts us inside the life and eyes of a little girl living in a ghetto of central Poland who was sent to a Nazi labor camp and even a gas chamber and has somehow lived to tell her extraordinary story. She still has a number on her left forearm, A27633. Tova Friedman's book, The Daughter of Auschwitz, My Story of Resilience, Survival, and Hope, written with the veteran correspondent Malcolm Brabant. And Tova Friedman joins us from London. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. You say in this book that you never saw a person with white hair until you survived the Holocaust and came to America after the war. Right, because the Nazis didn't have much use for people with gray hair or children. Exactly. By the time you were 50, you were useless. Anybody who cannot work 10 or 12 or 15 hours a day and survive and eat very little, they were useless. That were two categories, the elderly and the children. I absolutely feel the need to remind people of details that will be very hard to hear and horrific and maybe upsetting, and they, and they should be. But it's the best way to understand your story. Even before you were sent to a labor camp, you were in the Jewish ghetto in a town in central Poland. Right. What was life there like? I remember from the age of two or three in absolutely horrific circumstances, which I thought were normal because I knew nothing else. We lived in a ghetto with a lot of people in a very, very tight, small apartment. And it was so crowded that I remember being mostly under the table Mm -hmm. for two reasons, for space. I could eat there and sleep there. I had blankets there and for safety. Because if they would come in, they, the Nazi, they would immediately look for children and for the elderly. It was a safe place for me to be. You're eventually brought by a train to Auschwitz-Birkenau. Right. I have to ask you about life there. I have to ask you about death there. Dr. Mengele, Joseph Mengele was at Auschwitz. I think it's fair to call him a human monster. That's true. But I don't know if I saw him because, you see, earlier in the ghetto, my mother taught me not to have any eye contact because she thought that if you have an eye contact with any of the SS or the Gestapo, they will recognize you. Mm -hmm. They will know you. When I arrived to Auschwitz, I just remember the hands that were holding the straps 
of the gigantic German shepherds whose eyes I did see because I was their height. So I did not see Mangala. If he was there, I certainly would not know. Mm. I never looked up to anybody. Ms. Friedman, let me ask you to tell us about the day you were, well, you were taken to crematorium three. Yeah, the barrack next to us was emptied. No children. It was freezing outside, utterly freezing. But we went outside, and I walked into the other barrack. It was Nobody was there, so the door was open. And I said, oh, they took this barrack. So I knew, we all knew our time was going to come. We just didn't know when. And then when they called us for a special breakfast, I want you to know, all the children knew that we're going to go to the crematorium, but nobody cared that I know of. We just wanted to eat. Mm-hmm. And there's no way for me to describe the hunger or the cold. So that morning we got a very special breakfast, something sweet, something warm, something wet. It was like porridge, mm-hmm. but it was fat, the best meal I could remember ever in the war. And after we ate, we got dressed and we walked And as I'm walking to the crematorium, I hear a voice. It was called me by my name. And I said, oh, it must be my mother. Because there were women standing there. And I remember her voice, where are you going? I said, to the crematorium. And all the women were like so upset that they were screaming and crying. And I turned to the little girl next to me and I said to her, why are they crying? Doesn't every Jewish child go to the crematorium? So we walked down, and then we came, and we went down the steps. It was in a very gigantic room. I think it was cement floor. We stood there for hours. We were freezing, utterly freezing. And after a number of hours of utter freezing, I heard screaming and yelling, and they told us, go back, get dressed. We got dressed, and we returned, walking on the same path. And it was dark already. I heard my mother's voice, what happened? And I said, they couldn't do it this time. They'll do it next time. We we should note that about 230,000 children uh, enter the Auschwitz complex and save for you and perhaps a few others, almost all of them died. And and quickly. When you got to America, a a doctor, a well-meaning doctor. Very, yeah. Offered to remove that tattoo on your left forearm that says A27633. What did you tell him? No. You know what I said to him? Mm. The story from the Bible, Abel and Cain, when one of them killed the other and and God put a sign on his forehead Mm -hmm. that he's a murderer, so the world should see. And I said, you know what? If the number would be on my forehead so the world could see what happened, I wouldn't take it off. I was only 12, but I said, I think people should know. There's a moment in this extraordinary memoir when you recollect that your father remembered seeing a rabbi at one point. Right, right. Well, the rabbi said, Lord of the universe, how, how can you let this happen? He said, remember us. That was the cry for most people 
who went on the cattle car. They knew they would be exterminated. Yeah. There was no question about it. And they wanted people to remember them. Remember us. Remember us. And that's what I'm doing. One of the reasons yeah. I wrote the book is to remember them. I, I have to ask you a terribly tough question. <sighs> How could God permit this? I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know the different theories that God didn't do it, that man did it. Yeah. But I, I cannot let him up so easily. I don't think so. We're coming up to the Jewish holidays. Yeah. And uh, Yom Kippur is a time of atonement where I have to stand and say all the sins that I committed during the year. Mm -hmm. And I can't help thinking every year in my head, I say, God, forgive me for the sins I committed. Can I forgive you for the sins that you committed? I always feel like this. You know, it's, it's not Judaism. You know, it's not religious. But this comes up in my head. Yeah. Tilva Friedman's book, The Daughter of Auschwitz, My Story of Resilience, Survival, and Hope, written with Malcolm Brabant. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very, very much. Mm -hmm.